Hello, hello. Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Fears. This is Emmett Phillips, your host. And as always, I have my co-host here with me. It's Billy Nearing. Billy! Hey. <laughs> How's it going, man? It's going well. How you doing? Not too bad. Excited to uh, finally have this story off of our hands. Off of it. Our hands are going to be so clean after this. I've never even touched a dirty thing until now. Like this is your first yeah, time. This is my first time, so it wasn't gentle. I'll say that much. Yeah. Oh well. It you happens. Told me you were such a dirty boy, you liar. I can be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So when we last saw Michael Myers, he had just essentially gutted Big Joe Grizzly. It was a battle of the titans. Oh my god! It was like I just I can't even imagine how just loud and, and <laughs> brutal that was it is it is literally a wrestling match crammed into a six by four foot space <laughs> i've watched a lot of wrestling back in the day and yeah i you, wish you're i right. hadn't watched so much <laughs> wrestling back in the day <laughs> oh man but uh yeah, and so, like we said last time, before Michael finally makes his way home, he's got a kind of an odd stop to make. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're going to have Billy go ahead and lead us in there. So, before Michael got back to Haddonfield, he made a, a stop at True Work Hardware a few miles outside of the town. What's weird here is that Michael didn't kill anyone inside the store, uh, in fact, Michael didn't even hurt anybody. And what's more confusing is that he absolutely could have. And his official M.O. would indicate that he should have. Yeah, because it's, well, one of the one of the things that they always talk about is is Michael just keeps killing people just as soon as he has that opportunity. And it's something that we mentioned in the first episode Yeah, uh, is is that Michael seems to just jump at the opportunity but what we're gonna see here is that michael is much much more controlled and calculating mm -hmm. than what you would expect from the stories no. that are told about him seems like he may have learned from trying to attack multiple people when that's the thing spot. he learned so quickly yeah so i think he is definitely taking those lessons of getting caught the first time and kind of implicating the, or whatever, using those in that, in this scenario. Oh, absolutely. Well, and to be fair, Michael probably could have gotten away with this if, sure. if he had decided, because it was, it was still early in the morning. Yeah. It was only like, it must've been somewhere around seven 30 mm -hmm. because the first, the first sighting of him in Haddonfield itself is around eight 30. Mm -hmm. in the morning and this can't have happened much right you know much earlier than that or else it wouldn't have been open i i assume he was probably at least thinking that a lot of stores have some sort of weapon or some sort of alarm something well, like the thing of that is, nature is like he's he seems so brazen that I wonder if the store hadn't have been open, would he have just broken in anyways? Oh, for sure. Probably more than likely. <laughs> it's hard to say like why exactly he just decided to follow the rules for right now, but well, either way, follow the rules. Okay. okay. I mean, uh, as much as he can. So 
pretty much the only person at the store when Michael dropped in was some 18 year old cashier who was covering for his manager while the guy was out on a smoke break. Man, this place must have been open fucking early. Yeah, I would hate to be that kid. dude. Manager's already out on break. <laughs> Uh, we, can, we can consider this a, a stroke of luck for both Michael and the cashier. The cashier saw Michael come in with that same sort of robotic, overly composed posture and just assumed he knew what he was looking for and decided to take a quick bathroom break himself. By the time the cashier returned, Michael was gone. And so were a 12 foot length of rope in a 11 inch chef's knife, which is very strange for a hardware store, but <laughs> I don't know, man, I've seen, you know, I've, I've, I've been to my fair share of hardware stores and, and there is always a kitchen appliance section. Fair enough. Fair enough. I guess I just don't look for them <laughs> or something. I don't know. I just, no, it's, it's weird. It's, it's always, spot it's, always it's always near like the, the cash register. So it's like it's they almost treat it like a like a snack, like, oh, you're on your way out. Are you sure you don't need this giant fucking butcher knife? You could have some Starburst. How about how about this overly sized spatula? (laughs) Uh, But he also stole a generic Halloween mask labeled Boogeyman. Ooh, Ooh. Uh, (laughs) that was nothing more than a repurposed Captain Kirk mask painted white oh my god yeah and it's so sad too because that is a shitty captain kirk mask at that it's the worst one the hair looks like a toupee like straight up looks like donald trump's hair yeah and i mean good good for captain kirk because that would not be a good good look you know i think star trek would be like all right we're canceling it we're not doing this (laughs) your your man looks like a ghost can't, can't yeah. have that oh i'm saying if it was, if he used that likeness to murder oh yeah oh yeah 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 but i feel like honestly can you imagine that mask actually painted skin tone oh hey. like i can only imagine what what the original print of that thing looked like it has to be fucking horrifying i'm imagining it i'm seeing it and i hate it yeah i hate it <laughs> i hate it a lot Unfortunately for the clerk, Michael also drove away in the kid's white station wagon. And this was this kid's like first car as well. Oh, so that super dude. sucks. Oh You're at a God. job you probably hate. You're just like unassuming man walks in and then all your shit's gone. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Thanks, dude. Oh, my God. That, that's so fucking <laughs> shitty. Michael's best day. This kid's worst day. Yeah. Um, also, we got to talk about the mask for again for a second (laughs) this is one of those most iconic faces in history i would say maybe a hollywood walk of fame anybody like come on it's a really special face uh i don't think he's gonna get a star i think he should not maybe maybe get one we'll we'll think about it well i see academy i thought about it not gonna talk about my decision here (laughs) That's for later. Um, when, you, when you think about Michael Myers, you don't think about the gnarled, unkempt man underneath. You think of that ghoulish, white, soulless face. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. You you only picture the mask, or at least that's that's how I picture him. And, and frankly, that's how most of the news articles about Michael mm-hmm. present him 
is with that mask on. Yeah, because he has become what he wanted. People don't know what he looks like, or most people don't. Well, what most people don't know is is the picture that circulates the most is actually a picture of Michael about to be carried into an ambulance mm-hmm. by a collection of both paramedics and police officers yeah. after he's already been cuffed. We will get to that. That is a hell of a part of the story. <laughs> but that that picture of him where it's like straight on at the camera and it's just the mask and you can't even see his eyes. Mm-hmm. It's like the way that his the way that his head is tilted. The shadows are so powerful that you just you can't see anything but that face. And it's it's almost like that picture of Ted Bundy where he's like screaming and mm-hmm. like throwing his arm up in the air. Yeah. And it like it shows what he is mm-hmm. truly. This is the same situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um and yeah, this becomes one of those iconic historical true crime moments. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, we don't see a whole lot of Michael. He we don't have a whole lot of photos of his actual face. We have a few, but it's people don't care about his face. They yeah. care about the face of the the boogeyman. The one they know. Yeah. <laughs> to speak more on that, he pretty much found his like perfect face, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's just it's crazy to me that he has somehow in some weird interconnected way that he has been able to achieve his like dreams (laughs) yeah in in essence he has succeeded in changing himself into his perceived or adopted true self yeah the thing he really wanted to be so it, it is a little sad he left behind his like slipknot looking orange mask as cool as it was he he wanted this new persona, this new terrifying thing, this like I love the slipknot mask. It's a good mask. It's a cool fucking mask. But man. it doesn't intimidate like a white mask in a dark room would. <laughs> Which I mean actually still would. Like he's a big dude. How do you fit all, all that hair under that mask though? That's the thing. It's like at least with the slipknot mask, it's only covering your face, <laughs> but the 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 boogeyman mask just he had to like sink that down onto mm-hmm. his head over that big matted rat's nest of hair. Stays on though. Difficult. Because of that matted rat nest hair. Yeah, because it just expands inside with all the rats. Exactly. In and the all nest. The grease sticks right to him. It was I don't chosen. I want to think any more about any of the kinds of grease that are on Michael Myers. No. We'll move on from. Do you grease. think he wipes? No. He doesn't wipe anything on his body. No. Except for his and he's and... so scary that people won't wipe it for him. And nobody ever will now. There's all kinds of nasty grease. All kinds. So much. All right, so this trip to the hardware store before his quote-unquote main event says so much about Michael Myers' personality and his understanding of the world around him. 
based on what Michael eventually did over the course of Halloween night, 1978, this is one of the most clear instances of premeditation and realizations of fantasy that Michael ever displays. The knife and the way he eventually uses the rope are obvious to this point, but the sparing of the cashier speaks to something more controlled than the indiscriminate rage that Michael is most known for. He didn't kill or even attack the cashier. There are so many potential reasons for this, but where we land on the range of skepticism is that in all likelihood, Michael knew that killing a store clerk in broad daylight was likely to get him caught immediately. Michael seemed to have a very firm grasp on the benefits of subtlety when it mattered most, as well as the opportunities provided by darkness that allowed him to unleash his rage to its fullest extent. From what witnesses... You got something to say? I was just going to say, just uh, new face, new me. That's the stage in his life. He's a fully new person. He's got a new face. Things are going great. This is his permanent face. Exactly. This is me now, Dad. You don't have to. <laughs> it's not a to control my mom. life anymore. <laughs> I'm, I've graduated to adult murderer. Thank you. Ugh. Okay. So, from what witnesses say, Michael was likely in Haddonfield as early as 8.30 in the morning, with several people reporting seeing a man in a white mask driving slowly through residential areas in a white station wagon. It's believed this is how Michael spotted and stalked the majority of his victims. I will say using a white van is probably not the most subtle thing you could do. Oh, it wasn't a van. I thought it said van. Oh, station wagon. I'm sorry. Station wagon, buddy. It's it's essentially a a fucking car. It's like a (laughs) shitty hearse. Exactly. (laughs) You would notice that. It's pretty pretty (laughs) conspicuous. But anyway. At some point, Michael made another stop at the cemetery. Now this may have been local kids fucking around with a i hate to say this <laughs> well-known local attraction oh <laughs> but it's definitely possible this was michael and judging based on what we know that he's done already mm-hmm. with animals i'd say it probably is more than likely um so big as coincidence if, if not right as if her death and and her burial next to her horrible parents that she fucking despised mm-hmm. weren't insulting enough on the morning of October 31st, 1978, a coyote was found splayed out over Deborah Meyer's grave, cut down the center and the inside circling the grave. Mm-hmm. We're not sure when Michael would have managed to fucking catch and kill a coyote in the time period that he would have had to get from the hardware store and to the cemetery right and do this but i i don't know this crafty fella (laughs) luck again yeah maybe i I don't know he's just a dead coyote on the side of the road too if anybody's gonna pull off killing a uh, catching and killing a coyote in like 30 minutes it's michael myers probably had a bunch of dead rats in his pocket or something from the <laughs> Smith's Grove or something. She's just throwing them into yeah. the woods and seeing what happens. A little string. <laughs> oh, jeez. I mean, it's it's possible that he got there sooner than the reported sightings of him would mm-hmm. indicate. But 
it's again getting back to the likelihood of it being Michael who did this this kind of display would become kind of a, a signature for Michael which brings us back to the conversation of whether or not he's a serial killer or a mass murderer this is another one of those instances where he is following a very serial killer oriented uh path mm-hmm. i guess this is this is serial killer behavior he is he has a very distinct mo that is developing and will continue to develop over the course of this story yeah and as as far as this specific implementation of his signature goes who knows what it fucking meant like it it could it could be michael insulting his yeah. mother f- for some conceived sense of betrayal right. maybe for leaving him in smith's grove or it could be michael's own weird fucking way of paying tribute to her in a way that only michael myers could right i i wish we would we could know what goes on that crazy cuckoo nuts not so brain of his <laughs> that to think that this one was a good idea and wouldn't be attention grabbing to be immediately like he's back <laughs> if it was him allegedly but i i'm with you on thinking it definitely was him and that I, re- I really can't determine what that would mean. I feel like it's probably a slight, though. He probably feels like he she abandoned him or something like that. That's my guess, at least. I I again, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I think that's probably where I would put my money. Mm-hmm. But again, it's hard to say when somebody doesn't fucking talk. Yeah. And we don't know what he's like when he wants to do something like nice it. for somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I brought you a coyote. It it sucks because most of the time when we have insights into serial killers, it's because they've said things. Even if they haven't made full-blown confessions, they've at least given us insights into their psyche just by talking. And we don't have that at all with Michael. All we have is behavioral analysis. Mm -hmm. And not even a grunt. It, you know... Sometimes it seems like there's clear lines with the connections that he's making Mm -hmm. and his potential motivations. And then other times he just does shit that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So at at this point, um, the Haddonfield Sheriff's Department had already been notified that Michael Myers had escaped from Smith's Grove. Uh, But unfortunately, the only person who took the possibility of Michael returning to Haddonfield seriously was Samuel Loomis. Loomis went to Haddonfield immediately from his apartment in Chicago, driving a full two-hour trip in the middle of the night. By the time Michael arrived in Haddonfield, so had Loomis. The first thing he did was buy a big old gun. Okay, so I guess it, it wasn't that big. It was, uh, it was a .38 special. So, yeah, not that big. It's still a snub nose revolver. Still pretty cool, though. It, nice. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Could do, still do the spinny thing yeah. with, the, with the. If you had two of those bad boys, and... you could do some spinning. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got two guns, one for each of you. All one of him. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe Loomis is drunk. I'm sorry for the, the tombstone reference. I realize that's a little uh, out there lost, for most lost, people. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> I was a little lost first. It's okay. <laughs> right over your head. It's fine. I'm sorry. Swing and a miss. So after Loomis got this gun, he just went straight to the sheriff's office where he met with Sheriff Lee Brackett. Uh, when Brackett refused to send the town into lockdown, which is kind of a ludicrous thing to to even suggest, especially yeah. this psychologist just comes in out of nowhere. It's like, shut down the town! Shut down the town! It's like, quickly, we uh, need to lock all the doors and we need to put keys under, under mats. Motherfucker, it's Halloween. Do you understand how many things are happening publicly? <laughs> no, just, but lock just everything. even right now, this morning, I <laughs> picture him just being a raving madman. <laughs> I when that's that's exactly how Brackett saw him. So Loomis stormed out of the building and just disappeared for all intents and purposes. Uh, and this, of course, made Sheriff Brackett super uneasy. And so he sent a few deputies to find Loomis. What's sad here is that in trying to save lives, Loomis may have kept Michael from being found earlier. Of course, the police eventually would have put out patrols to look for Michael. And while it may have been difficult to find him in a town full of people wearing masks, something tells me that they would have been able to spot the near seven foot tall behemoth walking around like a robot covered in blood, carrying a knife and a rope. Uh, especially in a group full of kids. Yeah. I feel like you just drive to the end of a street, look down, like, there he is. Found him. Right. Well, and, <laughs> and it's like, dude, the neighborhood that he used to live in is still standing. Mm-hmm. So, good place to start, yeah. maybe? Yeah. But that's not what happened. Instead, at least two of the five on-duty officers were spending their time trying to find Loomis and keep him from going full vigilante while the others were answering phones or attending to whatever various nonsense you'd expect to happen on Halloween. Damn. Super short-staffed. But it's a small town. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a town that, like, when, when Michael Myers went on his first murder spree, it was an unprecedented event, even, even by standards set by adults mm -hmm. you know like violent crime like this just doesn't happen here except when michael's around yeah he's the ultimate troublemaker he single-handedly raises the average crime rate yeah of haddonfield <laughs> oh um, man so after this michael made his way to his old neighborhood which he had since expanded and Wait, wait. wait, he, <laughs> didn't he did that. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know Michael was such it. an entrepreneur. <laughs> so after this, Michael made his way to his old neighborhood, which had since expanded and become a more tranquil suburb and rebranded itself as Haddonfield Hills. And it was no longer sporting the same abandoned lots and rundown junk houses from Michael's childhood. That's good. You know, yeah, they revamped it a little bit, tried to get past the murder stuff i think <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's kind of hard to hold a town beholden to one crime yeah but you see michael's gonna turn this whole place into a murder sandbox full of just stabby things just right below the surface oh yeah <laughs> yeah 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 so before that michael had to choose a place to start 
We said that Michael functioned on mostly an opportunistic level when it comes to his murders and victims, and we still hold that to be largely true. However, reports from witnesses throughout the day, including statements from one of Michael's only surviving victims, suggest that he did at the very least choose, stalk, and hunt down specific targets and kill whoever else happened to be around or in his way. Yeah, very, very classic serial killer type yeah. things. Now, one of the one of the things that people like to throw out as a potential for why he chose who he ended up choosing, mm-hmm. Lori Strode, is because she bears somewhat of a resemblance to Judith. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little I think that's pushing it. For sure. That, that's a little on the nose. Yeah. I think in his brain, you know, he's just making up excuses. And it's like, oh, she's blonde, and my sister was blonde, so yeah, I, that's her. I don't know. I, I think he just decided that that's who he wanted to kill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, while walking to school, Strode saw a white station wagon parked at the end of her street near where the Myers house once stood. Does that mean he was parked in the lot of where the house was? I think he's just, or... like, so the old Myers house was down the street from where Lori lives. Mm -hmm. It's not there anymore. Yeah. But yeah, he was just, he was parked in front of what was now a new house. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just, just hanging out where home used to be. I hate that. (laughs) Yeah, it's creepy. (laughs) It's very creepy. So as she was walking, she met up with nine-year-old Tommy Doyle, who attended the neighboring elementary school and was also one of the kids Lori frequently babysat for. She's like a well-known babysitter around this area. Yeah, I mean, we got we got to talk about yeah. this for a minute. Yeah, so honestly, their relationship is kind of adorable, and it sounds a lot like it was more of like a brother-sister relationship. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, Lori would walk to school with him pretty much every day. He would call her for help with his homework and, and just just talk about their days you know? oh that's yeah. sweet. adorable even tommy's parents saw Lori as like a, a close family friend and often invited her to dinner and you know to outings and all that kind of stuff with the family that's cool yeah and and they weren't the only ones in the neighborhood who trusted and, and loved Lori. she was like the go-to person uh and especially for babysitting. Like she was the go-to. She was the one. Yeah. <laughs> she was like the babysitter kingpin. <laughs> <laughs> so she got all of her friends into babysitting as well. And her recommendation to some parents. And I, I picture it as like, dude, like I got this gig, this like side hustle, like <laughs> babysitting. <laughs> you heard of it, dude? Like <laughs> you should get in on it with me. Oh my God. <laughs> That's what I picture her as. <laughs> What is the pitch meeting for that look like? Yeah. When she goes to these parents and is like, hey, you know, if you got any friends that are looking for some babysitters, I got friends that want to babysit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, is this a euphemism? Or? Yeah, why'd you ask? You know what I mean? That sounds suspicious. No, 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 I promise. It's just babysitting. Okay. but I'm I don't think we're going to hire you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Damn, I lost another one. <laughs> so... I wish my babysitters were as cool as Lori, though. Like, honestly, she was a really she was really good at it. Yeah. I don't think any of them would have really saved me from Michael Myers or any stabbers. At that. Oh, my God. No, <laughs> no. All, but, all my babysitters were like scrawny middle school kids. Exactly. 
<laughs> they didn't have the know-how to get around to stab her. <laughs> <laughs> so, but getting back on track, uh, as the two were walking towards the school, they both saw a man in a stark white expressionless mask drive by in the same white station wagon from down the street. Oh, who could it be? <clears throat> I wonder. The mystery is killing me. Uh, <laughs> as he passed, he slowed down and turned his head and stared for a moment uh, before just stepping on the gas and taking off. Neither one of them really was thinking about it too much, considering it was Halloween you know, like the holiday, people do weird still, shit. Why are people it's driving still, around wearing yeah. a mask? How do you see out of it? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a that's a road hazard is what that it's is. It's a road hazard, a red flag. It's everything. But, you know, we're not even going to think about that right now. Uh, yeah, 1970s were a different time. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and you'll see people are very lackadaisical with their security. Oh, my God. <laughs> it makes me so mad. <laughs> so Michael didn't really go far, though because he was still somehow able to follow Lori to Haddonfield High School. According to Lori, she saw Michael standing outside the school in the drop-off lane, just staring at her through the window of her English room. Super weird. Also, like, how does he know what class she, or is he just broadly staring <laughs> at the school? I don't know. That's, that's the thing is like, she says that he was staring up specifically at her, but what are the likelihoods that he actually could have, seen through that window yeah in in the middle of the daytime when there's probably like reflections mm-hmm. on the glass you just got I super think he lucky just looking at the school just like where did she go he's Fuck. out there just like i hope this is the right side of the school come on <laughs> he just just sees her like, oh, like yes got her <laughs> comes up to the base of the window holding the boom box yeah. <laughs> except it's just playing like oh my god So Michael wouldn't be spotted by anyone again until later that day. And who knows where he went during this time? Like, it's a mystery. I think he was just playing in this proverbial murder sandbox or something. Yeah, I think he's probably just just exploring around. Maybe he went back into the woods. Who knows? I mean, he does end up leaving his car behind later. Well, it's not his car. Somebody's car. He left somebody's car somewhere. (laughs) Very specific. (laughs) All right, so, yeah, on, on our way home from school, Lori walked back to the neighborhood with two of her friends, Annie Brackett and Linda Clock. Uh, a few streets away from the Strode residence, the girls saw Michael pull up behind them and drive at their walking pace. Ugh. Lori says that when she told them about seeing him earlier and that he she thought he might be following her, Linda just turned and flipped Michael the bird and shouted at him for, you know, creeping on a bunch of teenagers. And he, again, just hit the gas and sped off. Oh, he's nervous. <laughs> he's a shy, shy yeah. boy. Oh, they saw me. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so they just, they thought that was that. Mm-hmm. Thought it was done. Lori went straight to the Doyle house after that. She didn't return home. And the other girls went to their respective house, houses. Um, it's suspected that Michael managed to circle back around and follow the girls again. Here, he would have seen where Linda lived, two streets over, just across from the Brackett residence. And Michael already knew where Lori lived. Obviously, Michael hasn't commented, so we don't know for sure. But it has been speculated that Michael targeted Lori specifically because, she, like like yeah, I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah that, again, Lori, Lori resembling Judith as, as a form of motivation is, again, a little too... On the nose, but it's yeah. not outside of the realm of possibility. Yeah, we still don't know if he's crazy or not. 
I would say this part of it crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever the reason is, Michael wanted Lori first. Michael left the station wagon parked at the school before making his way back through the same woods he killed Wesley Rhodes in 10 years earlier. Trip down memory lane. Oh, yeah. And then he just took that pretty much all the way back to the Strode house. Michael waited until about 6 p.m. just as the trick-or-treaters were coming out, then walked down the street into the Strode's backyard. Now, there were no signs of forced entry at the Strode house, so it's assumed the back door had been left unlocked, which is going to happen again and again. Michael simply just walked into the house. And when he did, he didn't find Lori. She wasn't home. He did, however, find her parents, Alexander and Candace. Ooh, yeah, this this is not going to be good for them. So Alexander was found in the kitchen by the back door that Michael entered through. With no defensive wounds present, we can assume Michael walked in undetected. Using the stolen chef's knife, Michael stabbed Alexander through the back and into his heart, killing him almost instantly. Getting the knife out was more difficult than Michael had planned. Candace was found in the living room with no knife wounds. So it's believed that Michael had gotten the knife stuck in Alexander at oh. least for a little while, you know, enough to where he didn't have, you know, he didn't have time <laughs> to pull it out. Yeah. Um, Candace got much worse, though. Michael caught her in the living room where he grabbed her by the blouse, nearly tearing it from her body and throwing her down through a glass coffee table and shattering it completely. As Candace made her way across the floor through broken glass, Michael took his experience with Wesley Rhodes to brand new heights, this time with a fire poker. Michael followed Candace, systematically hitting her up the length of her body as she crawled, starting at the legs. She barely made it past the couch four feet away before Michael finished the job by embedding the fire poker deep into the back of her skull. The killing would only get worse from there. God, what a shitty way to go. And it seems like that happened pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just, just boom, boom. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it sounds like he had a plan, but he he's very adaptable. Oh, and we'll, we'll see later just just how how planned out his whole fantasy scenarios have been. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty insane. And it really, really kind of... It, it points towards the other direction and that whole, is he crazy? Is he not? It's like, mm-hmm. well, he's there. He's there enough. <laughs> he's just over the line of being sane, at least. <laughs> yeah. So moving on. When Michael realized his intended victim wasn't in the house, he moved on to the next best thing. Linda Clock. By the time Michael left the Strode house, trick-or-treating had ended, allowing him to make his way to the clock house largely unnoticed. Again, there were no signs of forced entry at the clock house. He just walked in. Lock your fucking doors. I don't understand this neighborhood. Lock my doors Again, every day. Different, different every time. night. Different yeah. time. Yeah. This, this time, Michael found his target, but she wasn't alone. Linda's parents were away for the weekend, and she had invited her boyfriend, Bob Silas, over for what? What else but drinking, smoking, and uh, naked mishmash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow! That's a that's a phrase. I don't want. I don't want to get into it. I don't like talking about teenagers naked doing mishmash. the do. It's just the phrase. I'm loving it. Yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Michael found the couple upstairs just after they had finished. Bob was ambushed at the top of the stairs leading to the bedroom hallway. Michael grabbed Bob around the throat and pushed him to the wall. Then he lifted Bob off the floor with a single hand before plunging his knife so deeply through Bob's chest that not only was the handle partially sunken into the wound, but the blade came out of Bob's back and into a support beam in the wall, pinning him there like a poster. Well, goddamn. Strong, strong motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. When, when his body was found, his weight had twisted the blade from the wood and sent him sliding down the stairs, oh my God. which is just if bad. He was alive through all that, he definitely isn't now. And then he just ragdolls yeah. like a video game character. Damn. Uh, that's, so, that's a way to go. After dealing with Bob, Michael made his way to the master bedroom where he found Linda laying in the bed. Before she had time to react, Michael had wrapped his enormous hands around her throat strangled her to death before dragging her corpse to a chair in the corner of the room. Here he displayed Linda's body with the sheet bearing two eye holes covering her. So he turned her into a sheet ghost and set her up like a prop. So it's like at this point Michael's he's almost playing. He loves Halloween. Yeah. That's, he loves yeah. it. It's his favorite it's his holiday favorite thing. He loves having the most authentic decorations. <laughs> but there's there's also already uh, another pattern of his starting to develop here for each of his attacks where he he just dispatches the mail as quickly as possible assuming there's one present mm-hmm. um and takes his time with the girl. Yeah. So it's a little Michael, sexist Michael. Come on. It it's a little sexist. Michael was clearly enjoying himself and he had no intention to stop. He still wanted Lori, so he made his way back to the Strode house to wait for her. Lori still wasn't home from the Doyle house down the street, but just a few houses down on the other side of the street was the Wallace house, where Michael spotted Annie Brackett entering. Annie was supposed to be babysitting nine-year-old Lindsay Wallace, but she had pawned off the job to Lori, and who had taken Lindsay to Tommy Doyle's house so she could fool around with her boyfriend, Paul Kowalski. I know that sounded that was a lot going on there, but <laughs> stick with me. It's like, well, my brother's sister's boyfriend's girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my cousin's mom's dad. <laughs> uh, so Michael made his way into the house through an open window again with the security guys. Come on. <laughs> and found another knife in the kitchen. Do these people really have zero thoughts about like intruders or danger? I just really have to hammer this home especially at the at the end of the 1970s which is like one of the most violent periods of american history exactly fucking lock your doors close your windows unless you're on like a second floor then i guess hide your wife hide everybody hide everything dude get a bunker yeah (laughs) that's all we're saying and a tactical bath and the tactical bath yeah get a tactical bath attack bath attack bath hell yeah and tactical flashlight too everything tactical yeah exactly it's perfect it's the only way to live tactical (laughs) i don't know why people are leaving their shit unlocked honestly uh but it it just it doesn't make sense yeah this time michael found his victim (laughs) mid-sex they're doing the sex on the living room floor no it's on the couch yeah they're a little bit cleaner okay (laughs) he really seems to have a knack for just walking in on people fucking like yeah i don't (laughs) it's like he has a sixth sense about it he's like i smell it I smell fornication. (laughs) So Michael grabbed Paul by the hair so hard that he pulled like little chunks of hair out. 
Yeah. And this is just before stabbing him right through the bread basket. All while Annie is still underneath, like all this going on. Yeah. Yeah. So Annie somehow manages to get out from beneath Paul and run for the front door. But Michael was too fast. (laughs) He's a fast boy when he wants to. I know. I know most people are like, oh, yeah, we just kind of saw him like lumbering around like like a living plank of wood. But it's like, I just can you imagine how fucking scary it is to see Michael Myers run? I mean, it's just pounding sounds. He's got a wide gate. He can get to you fast. Well, yeah, he's like he's like 50 percent leg. Yeah. <laughs> so as she ran past him, he slashed out with his knife, making contact with the tendons on the back of her left oh. leg, sending her straight to the floor Ugh. from the single bloody footprint outside the front door. Uh, we, we know that she almost got away, but he, he was pretty much quick to yank her back inside. And as soon as he got her back in, he began to cut and stab her in various places before letting her just crawl away. So he's again playing with her like a fucking cat. It's creepy. Yeah. He let her get to the kitchen doorway before dragging her all the way back to the entrance hall across the hardwood floor. And this is the shitty thing. She was fucking shirtless. Can you imagine how Uh, like just your bare skin screeching against the hardwood floor i can hear it in my head i hate it at this point the phone began to ring and michael tore it from the wall what michael didn't know was that he was unintentionally luring his top choice his creme de la creme his top shelf (laughs) alcohol oh baby straight to him and that would be Lori. he needs her he's got to have her I want to kiss you all over. <laughs> I don't think that's what Michael wants. <laughs> I want to stab you all over. That sounds about right. There we yeah. go. You can't do that, though. That's copyright. <laughs> <night goes easy. laughs> okay. So, yes, on the other end of that phone was Lori Strode, calling to see when she could bring Lindsay back. And when the ringtone went dead, Lori thought it was weird. So she also needed to know because the Doyles would be coming home in just a couple of hours. So Lori left the kids with a movie and a bowl of popcorn and walked down to the Wallace house. When no one answered the door, Lori got impatient and tried to see into the house through the window, but the lights were out. Lori being the neighborhood queen babysitter... (laughs) Um, top bitch of babysitters (laughs) she's the queen uh queen b so she knew the wallaces kept a key in this like little crevice under the bricks Mm -hmm. um on the front porch under the like under the door jam so like she bends down to get the key and that's when she notices the single bloody still wet footprint glistening in the moonlight Uh, So she scrambled at the door and finally got it open only to discover an entrance hall absolutely covered in blood and Annie Brackett in the middle of it all. She'd suffered so many wounds and was so covered in blood that not only could Lori not see her skin, she couldn't tell how many cuts she had or where exactly they were. It's amazing how much fluid we have in our bodies. I I think it's something like five liters Something like that, yeah. And it, it seeing it all on display like that has to be Ooh. very shocking. When she wasn't dead least. yet. Yeah. She was she was still breathing. Lori went for the phone to call 911 only to find that it had, of course, been ripped off the wall. As she was doing this, 
she noticed a figure swinging in the foyer where the staircase was. Lori turned on the lights to reveal Paul Kowalski's body hanging from the balcony, pants still around his ankles, and a jack-o'-lantern placed over his head. Okay, Michael. Jesus. Michael had once again made a humiliating theatrical display out of his gruesome deeds. Lori dropped the phone and turned to go to Annie, but froze in place when she was confronted with the dark, looming shape of Michael Myers standing over Annie, staring at her bloodied body with a weird, curious tilt in his head like he was Ugh. examining her. Like a dog? Yeah. Oh. Hate it. Then he turned his gaze on Lori. Lori says he just stood there staring at her for what felt like minutes before she had the courage to move her legs. Then she ran for the stairs and the chase was on. Wallace's had an adjoined bathroom that connected both Lindsay's and her parents' bedrooms directly to the bathroom. This is where Lori ran to. She entered first through Lindsay's room, then into the bathroom, locking both doors behind her. When she heard the door to Lindsay's room break open, she went into the parents' room and again locked the door. But as soon as she shut it, the door on the other side of the bathroom broke down. Lori then ran out from the bedroom, doubling back towards the stairs, and in a moment of panic and survival instinct, decided to jump the railing down onto the foyer floor. Damn, she's got that parkour in her. Yeah, dude, I honestly, that's what I'm saying. You ever watching a horror movie and you're just like, fucking just jump the railing. Just jump, dude. Jump the railing, get to the door. I have to take the stairs. No, you ah! don't. Gravity's a thing. <laughs> now, speaking of gravity, this wasn't the tallest balcony, only about 12 feet, but it was still enough to sprain Lori's ankle and break two of her toes. Ooh. Yeah, so now she's got a limp. Yeah, that doesn't make but it easy. she had enough adrenaline to power through, and she made her way to the front door and outside just as Michael was reaching the bottom of the stairs. Lori then sprinted towards the only safe place she could think of at the time, which was the Doyle house. Now, this is not the finest example of Lori's babysitting qualities, leading a literal boogeyman to a couple of children. But again, survival instincts just take over sometimes. Yeah, and well, especially like what do you do? You know, you're supposed yeah. to be watching like these you kids need, you, and I have to yeah. imagine she's thinking, I need a phone. Yeah. Oh, yes. That absolutely. is the closest place she knows to get one. Mm-hmm. I mean, thank God she didn't run back to her house. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think the panic of seeing what happened to her parents, mm-hmm. uh, she probably, she, she would have, yeah, yeah, she would have just melted down. And yeah. it, it had to have been hard enough seeing Annie's body. Oh yeah. Just seeing a close friend in that state. Ooh. Yeah. I can't imagine. Like, thinking clearly is probably not (laughs) going to happen for a while for her. Well, I mean, as we'll see, Lori's a survivor. She she really pulls it together. For sure. So Lori got back to the Doyle house and pretty much just locked every door she could before corralling Tommy and Lindsay up into the bathroom upstairs. Michael didn't bother with trying to find a way and like he just he wasn't trying to be sneaky anymore <laughs> yeah uh he pretty much just opted to make his own way in uh michael shattered a window by the front door with a rock from the front garden and climbed in and again subtlety totally out the window for michael at this point i know we were saying like he's pretty yeah, good no, at he's subtleties. So, he's so close <laughs> he's so close to getting that tasty snack can't help himself nope so Lori heard this and locked the kids in the bathroom before running to the master bedroom hoping michael would follow her he did just that fell right into her trap 
perfect. Mwah, chef's kiss. <laughs> there were three bedrooms. As she passed, Lori slammed each one of the doors shut, specifically out of sequence, in an attempt to hide which one she was really going to be hiding in. Just, you know, getting into a little 4D chess there. Okay, <laughs> clever. She chose the master bedroom because it had a balcony. She said, you know, she, you know her history with balconies. She's like, I've done it before. Them. I can do it again. Like, if I, I land on this one foot, I still got another good one to exactly. go. Exactly. Or I could just take some damage on my other leg and it'll be fine. Even it'll it be, out? Yeah, yeah. I'll be, you know, in sync. This isn't a fucking video game. This isn't <laughs> Fallout. <laughs> but she also just couldn't leave the kids behind. That's why she, like, stuck around, obviously. Yeah, of course. So she hid in the closet. When Michael came into the room, she tried to keep quiet, but her breathing pretty much gave her away. You'd think at this point, Michael would just open a closet door and just go for it, but ever the performer, Michael decided it'd be just more fun to bust straight through the door. <laughs> Sometimes big men do what big men have to. Exactly, but it was a bad idea. Yeah. Bad big man, <laughs> bad idea. When big man gets stuck, big man got real stuck because <laughs> he he was stuck there long enough for Lori to compose herself, you know, take a little. You don't want Lori composed. <laughs> not when you're Michael Myers. Take a big breath in and out. Time to kick some ass. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and she took a little revenge. So Lori called for the kids to make a run for it and which they did immediately. You know, they're they're pretty good at following orders. Oh, yeah. They they just go screaming down the oh, yeah. street like their own little sirens. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Uh, as Michael was struggling to remove himself from the door, Lori grabbed a clothes hanger, straightened it and, and oh, straightened out the hook and everything, and then stuck <sighs> it as hard and deep as she could into whatever she could, which happened to be Michael's left eye. <laughs> oh, got him yeah, there. fucking got him. Got him. Oh, dude. shit. Mm. So Lori seized this opportunity and burst out of the closet, running for the door. Michael pulled the hanger from his eye socket and chased after Lori, again, proving much faster than his victims. Like, I don't I don't know where the speed He's came from. He's a speedy from. dude. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> He's just a, a flash of murder. <laughs> he caught her at the top of the stairs and began to strangle her. In a moment, pulled straight from a movie, who should appear at the house at just the right second but Dr. Samuel Loomis. Woo! He's here. He's here Yay! to save us, everybody. Loomis had a hunch that Michael would likely return to his old neighborhood and was walking the streets of Haddonfield Hills like a little Haddonfield knight. Yeah, like a, like a P.O. <laughs> yeah. Not P.O. P.I. Uh, there we go. Yeah, like, like a like a P.I. or whatever. <laughs> No, no, he's a P.O. box. He's a walking mailbox. Yeah, he's a walking mailbox, and uh, he's here to deliver some bullets. <laughs> In retrospect, <laughs> In retrospect, the cops who were out looking for Loomis should have known where he was going. He and, made it pretty obvious. Yeah, like, I'm going to go kill this guy. And they're like, huh, sure, old man. Whatever. And then he takes off and then he the goes to the police <laughs> station, and they're just like, Hi, he's going to kill that guy. go kill that guy. <laughs> Yeah. Fuck, we should probably do something about that. It's Halloween, though, and there's some toilet paper trees to take care of. Yeah. <laughs> but given the events to follow, we're glad they didn't catch him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, like we said, Super Loomis, here to save the day. Super Loomis. Yeah, so Loomis started at the end of the street where Michael's house had been and made his way down towards the Doyle house. 
from a few houses down, Loomis had heard and seen, obviously, again, screaming like sirens, Tommy and Lindsay just sprinting out of the house. He has more intuition so, than the police, that's for sure. Yeah. They saw them like, ah, well, kids. he knows his boy. Yeah, he knows his boy. He knows he terrifies children. That's the screams that they just saw Michael. <laughs> not not liking the way we're talking about this anymore. <laughs> little, little too. <laughs> Whatever. All right, so Loomis rushed to the front door of the house where he entered to find Michael in the process of strangling a nearly unconscious Lori Strode. Um, Loomis raised his gun and shot at Michael, grazing his right shoulder and causing him to drop Lori. So Loomis then rushed up the stairs and opened fire again as Michael stood up and desperately tried to get Lori into the master bedroom. Like he's still, Michael has been shot and he mm-hmm. is still going for Lori. He, again, with this unstoppable force, like there mantra, is something he, just yeah. truly mystifying about about this guy. I don't I don't understand that pain tolerance. Yeah, he just doesn't give a shit about anything besides what he wants. No, not at all. So this next shot hit Michael directly in the left shoulder, sending him back against the door frame and again dropping Lori. Michael then rushed Loomis, lunging at him with his arms stretched out as if to try to catch the fucking bullet like some <laughs> kind of absolute moron. Ugh. And Loomis fired again. This shot went lengthwise through Michael's arm, traveling through the edge of his hand down into his elbow where it shredded up through his upper arm, lodging in his bicep. Oh, man. He's all fucked up. And it's his right hand, too. So he's like, that's his dominant hand. How is he going to stab people anymore? He's going to get He's certainly creative. not going to be powerlifting one-handed teenagers. He's going to have to adapt and overcome, just like every other situation that he tries to plan out. <laughs> Except it's his life now. Loomis took aim again as Michael stumbled back towards the balcony and fired one last time, hitting him in the upper left shoulder. Loomis doesn't seem to be a very great shot. No. Aim for the head. Always aim for the head. I think this may be the first time he's ever even, like, looked at a gun. Probably. You'd think he'd take some practice shots first. Didn't have time. Right, right. He had to go prowl the streets. Gotta hunt big man. Gotta hunt big man. (laughs) (laughs) So Michael, again showing his aptitude for learning through experience, took a note from Lori and jumped over the railing of the bedroom balcony. So Michael appeared to be dead to Loomis at this point because he just pancaked on the ground. <clears throat> smack like oh wily coyote <laughs> you um, take a few seconds in the air and then drop <laughs> <laughs> saw a little mushroom cloud yeah, come up put up a little sign like uh oh <laughs> <laughs> so anyways Loomis went back to check on Lori and he managed to get her conscious again and in one of the most chilling and iconic exchanges in this story the first thing Lori said upon regaining consciousness was asking Loomis innocently was that the boogeyman to which he responded, yes, I think it was. The word was proved to be premature. Uh, <laughs> Loomis went to the balcony to look at Michael's body, only to find he wasn't where he had fallen, at which point he called Sheriff Brackett directly from the house phone. He did manage to survive his fall, but when Michael landed, he wasn't as lucky as Lori. Michael suffered a cracked hip bone, a broken right fibula, and fractured right tibia, a dislocated shoulder, and it massive concussion on top of the ludicrous amount of close range bullet wounds he had already sustained that concussion is not going to help his mental state at all no no 
And so he managed to somehow walk away, but he didn't make it far. The wounds he'd suffered eventually got the better of him, and Michael Myers was found passed out on his knees and near death from blood loss, seemingly headed back towards the high school where his stolen car was left. And the way that the the officers who found him describe it is it's like he just shut down again like a robot like it's mm-hmm. like he just kept moving until he couldn't and then he just kind of because he's sitting there like passed out on his knees mm-hmm. like he just powered down or something and it's like what the actual fuck is this guy i cannot murder anymore i cannot murder anymore <laughs> there we go that's what michael sounds like <laughs> Ah, yeah. So that's that's what eventually took Michael down. He is human, as it turns oh, out. Oh. And again, as it turns out, you need blood in your body. You sure it's not oil? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't test his blood. Maybe he didn't grease his joints enough or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, just love me some greasy joints. <laughs> uh. Okay, so... Michael was in handcuffs, of course, taken to Haddonfield Memorial Hospital and patched up, though he would never again regain sight in his left eye or full functionality in his right and dominant hand owing to the tissue damage Loomis managed to deliver. In an unfortunate and terribly ironic turn of events, Lori and Michael were treated at the same hospital. And despite his sedated state, the news of Michael entering the building sent Lori into an immediate panic where she herself had to be sedated as well. Understandable. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, he killed all her friends. I mean, I guess if it's a small town, I I can't imagine there's too many hospitals around, but like, dude, send him like out state or something. Just a little bit. Like, like, yeah, he can go to Haddonfield, but maybe take Lori somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, because her her wounds aren't life threatening. Mm-hmm. Or you know, or just, just better yet, maybe just let him die. Just drive him he around. Could literally, just you know, round the block a few times. We're almost there, Michael. Like, I, I just swear. really want to finish this song. <laughs> oh, this is my jam. Oh my god, that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> Oh, ambulance drivers don't do that, please. That's fucked, no matter who the person is. <laughs> so where uh, where is our story headed now? Loomis was arrested for vigilantism. Is that, is that how you say it, I right? Think it, Vigilant, I think vigilantism? vigilantism, maybe? Either way, you know it? what we're talking about. Well, he was later acquitted owing largely to an excellent legal defense, but also to the very valid argument that he acted in defense of another person. Uh, despite having pretty obviously gone out looking to kill Michael. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it, this was this was a very, very extenuating circumstance. Oh, for sure. I, I it's hard to say if I agree or disagree. I mean, I definitely agree that he definitely needed to go out and do this. But also, like, I don't know. It's a weird situation because he told the cops, he told them everything. They didn't take it seriously. Yeah. And, and, and clearly Michael, it was Michael, a absolutely knows what he's capable of yeah. i mean at this point loomis has already seen what michael had done at the hospital mm-hmm. so he knows that michael is more dangerous than he has ever been which how could he not be he's still michael fucking myers now he's just giant exactly i, I feel like everybody's just did not do a great job in, the, in no. this whole scenario loomis didn't even do a good job at shooting him no <laughs> he did a terrible job so speaking of loomis 
he never worked as a psychologist again, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah after, absolutely not. Yeah. After his interaction with Michael Myers, he was discredited and maligned by the psychology community, though he made several public appearances to talk about Michael before his death in 1996. Well, and at this point, frankly, like, yes, of course, you can't you can't still work as a psychologist if people are thinking that you're just going to decide to murder your patients one day because you're scared. of. Yeah, but I. I don't think he he didn't show a lot of interest in wanting to continue after his experience mm-hmm. with Michael. Um, and frankly, he was there was a lot of there was a lot of rumor going around that he had been planning on retiring anyways. Yeah. So I guess like, yeah, it sucks to lose all of your respect and credibility mm-hmm. for doing what you think is the right thing. But there's there's systems in place for a reason. And I get why they did why he. Yeah doesn't get to be a doctor anymore oh for sure uh, i definitely would support the decision to make that or to make him not be a practicing psychologist anymore but i also understand where he's coming from yeah again it's a weird situation of just there's no good side to this it's <laughs> at this point loomis has spent a decade plus with this dealing with yeah. the aftermath of this actual living boogeyman's yeah crimes yeah i can't imagine the mental toll and emotional toll when they took they're gruesome crimes mm-hmm. they're brutal and he has seen like more than half of them he has right. actually seen the results himself yeah. so one of samuel loomis's final interviews displays exactly how he felt about michael myers and potentially why he was expelled from the scientific community When interviewing with a small-time Chicago news station, KWLQ Local, Loomis was asked what he thought should be done with individuals like Michael Myers. The way he responded was creepy, definitely crazy, but also kind of awesome. I think it's pretty (laughs) awesome. So he said, it can't be allowed to live. It must die. It has to die. And I put a little bit <laughs> I love more that bravado. <laughs> put a little more. Well, honestly, at this point, he said he said some just like way on the nose things. Yes. Where you're just like, man, that's that's fucking cool. <laughs> There's a little bit of like, Shakespearean. I, I want, yeah, I want him to be like Hamlet style. <laughs> like it must die. It has to die. <laughs> some lightning in the background. <laughs> He's a man of theatrics. I li- <laughs> so this is obviously way over the top, but I feel like it really exemplifies how this guy corrupted everything around him. Oh, Sam- absolutely. Yeah. Samuel Loomis was a highly respected psychologist when he first encountered Michael. By the time his days with Michael were over, he was absolutely convinced that Michael was true, pure evil. Which is not an idea that you can hold as a practicing scientist. No. Especially ones that deal with mental illness. Yeah, that bias would be carried with him for sure. But, you know, Michael, Michael just is that dark of a of a person. It's Mm -hmm. just nobody. Nobody knows exactly what's wrong with him. He has some of the most bizarre characteristics of any violent criminal that we've Mm -hmm. ever known. If there ever was a true, pure form of actual, tangible evil, maybe Michael Myers is it. Oh, yeah. I I fully agree with that. Um, When the aftermath of Michael's rampage was finally revealed to the local law enforcement, 
it was none other than Sheriff Lee Brackett, who was among the first to arrive at the scene, in addition to officers from several surrounding towns. This is like he just has to feel so guilty Mm -hmm. at this point. Yeah, he didn't do much of fucking anything. Yeah, it it can't be anything that happened here. Right. It, It can't be an easy thing to have to come to terms with especially given that you were told information that you could have used and it, it's hard to packing. not feel responsible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you, you sent a professional expert on this specific mm-hmm. violent person who's running rampant in your town. Yeah. And you're just like, ah, fuck it. He probably won't come here. Yeah. Send a patrol out. Mm-hmm. So Brackett was sent immediately to the Wallace house where he was met with the grisly sight of his own daughter, Annie Brackett. Lee Brackett left the Haddonfield Sheriff's Department and never returned after an extended paid leave owing to psychological instability. This this story is just so full of broken people and Mm -hmm weeping parents having to be literally dragged away from their yeah. dead children. This is, this is the aftermath so, of so sad. Yeah. And he, he never even really recovered from the death of his only daughter, uh, spending the rest of his life struggling with alcoholism and severe PTSD. And speaking of PTSD, another person who would never recover from this experience with Michael Myers was Lori Strode. Now, Lori didn't sleep for almost a month after Halloween 1978. When she did, it was because of tranquilizers prescribed by the mental institution she spent a weekend after being transferred there from Haddonfield Memorial after a massive breakdown following the news of her parents' death. She wasn't told until almost a week after being sent to the hospital that her parents were dead. She had to have been unconscious most of that time. Yeah. There's no way she she would like willingly sit there and be like, okay, I guess my parents just aren't coming. Yeah. Well, and especially, like, I understand why they would wait, because, like, I'm sure her mental state was not great, and then adding that on top of it. Well, she, she by this time, somehow news had, hadn't gotten to her about her parents, but she she knew that Linda and Annie yeah. and Paul and Bob were all gone. Mm-hmm. In case you're wondering, no, it wasn't Smith's Grove. That would be fucked up. Yeah, they already fucked up once with the, the hospital. <laughs> No, she she was taken to a little private practice mm-hmm. type situation, and then she ended up living with her aunt and uncle uh, after her parents' death, and stayed with them through college while continuing to receive treatment for her PTSD. And today, Lori still lives in Haddonfield, Illinois. She has been married twice and divorced twice, having a daughter Karen with her second husband. Lori lives an almost survivalistic lifestyle today. Her property covered in a variety of really, really intense security systems like electric fence, razor wire. Um, so she's like stocked and, up. Then. And there's there's been some pictures because obviously she's a local celebrity at this point. Yeah. Say um, celebrity? Or... I, I would say local celebrity. People like they get starstruck. People have asked her for her autograph. Which uh, doesn't go well. Lori is not fond of being (laughs) approached by anybody for any reason. (laughs) I just kind of figured it'd be local nut job, but yeah. But um, I mean, that it it is. It is also that, Um, and and especially so. Like I was saying, uh, people have snapped pictures of like looking between the the fence posts. Um, You can see like homemade booby traps and shit, like spike traps 
in like over the lawn. I can only imagine what the inside of the house looks like. She's got like big ass spotlights mm-hmm. fixed to the roof, whole nine yards. Michael ruined this person, but he also literally turned her into the Terminator. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so she she also has like a, a fairly impressive collection of like high powered firearms. Like she's got a lot of guns, dude. Oh, I bet. If you're going to have that many traps, you got to have just as many guns, I, I guess. If yeah, you're going to well, go through and, nine and yards. It, it sounds kind of cool, but her paranoia of field lifestyle eventually sparked some concern from her aunt and uncle, and they eventually called Child Protective Services to investigate. And they ended up determining that the conditions were not suitable for a child, and they took Karen away. Oh. And apparently, Lori had been training her like a soldier essentially like target practice shoot to kill you know it's just i i get it yeah you can't you can't be raising your kids like that it's right it's a fucked up way to live absolutely but i also get from her point of view i get it but also hey man it's a child (laughs) yeah when and we could we could go on and on about yeah lori's life after the murders it's it's pretty wild it almost deserves an episode on its own so we we won't get super deep into it here uh to sum it up for now karen and lauren aren't exactly on the best of terms and i guess we should take this out on the main subject himself michael myers was treated for his wounds and taken back to smith's grove where he remains to this day repeating the same cryptic shit he did the first time save for making masks interesting uh, he yeah he found his one and only and uh, nothing's love. ever gonna re- replace it so no he just he just sits and stares at the fucking wall so um, he does even less than he was already doing the first time yeah yeah you know still it's still pulling the same weird shit i don't know how he's pulling it off now because he fucking murdered the guy who was like yeah. making sure people didn't bother him yeah but still he did he reportedly manages to stay alive but he's you know he's not losing weight he's not gaining weight so he's eating i just can't imagine but nobody again nobody ever fucking sees it and he just sits silently in his bedroom day after day staring at the wall until he is literally made to leave and they have to have a whole security team come in and strap him down oh my um, God. and so when he's you know for bathing or mandatory outside time which has since been restricted from walking around that track mm-hmm. to standing in a yellow square chained to the center. Okay. And they just kind of have these guys all out in the yard, mm-hmm. chained to the ground. It's it's creepy. It's yeah. really creepy like, looking. I uh, And also a really good way to make sure every single one of those poor bastards gets sunburned. Oh, yeah. I mean, they don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> you get Michael Myers, like, I fucking get a sunburn. I don't care. Anyways, Michael may never leave Smith's Grove again, but his crimes and their influence will live as a cruel reminder of the horrors of our world and the shape of true evil. Moral of the story, lock your doors, lock your windows. Keep a they They stabbing everybody yeah, up in here. Just be safe. Don't just watch out for weird cars. I don't know. Check on your neighbors. <laughs> There's no moral. Watch out for crazy people. Yep. Watch out. All right, guys. So that's it for Michael Myers. Thanks for listening. Uh, We know we've been away for quite a minute. Uh, Life things happen sometimes, but uh, bear with us. We'll get on track. 
um, and hopefully get content to you out on a uh, much more regular basis. Absolutely. But for now, um, we're just going to get it out when we can, and we hope you have fun with it when uh, we can get it to you. Absolutely. Look forward to the next episode. Won't we'll reveal it here. It'll be a surprise. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's going to be a surprise <laughs> announcement. I'm excited. Yeah. Yep. I'm very excited. And I hope everybody else is as well. Not, not a big fan of sledgehammers anymore. No. No. But, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Adios. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>